Good to see you all this morning. Good morning, everyone. Well, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Glad you're all with us this morning. Uh, I hear some of the coughing. I hear some of the snuffy noses. Plague be gone, right? Plague be gone. Uh, um, We've really come as far as uh, the working of the miracles, but as far as the spiritual gifts. But what I'd like to do is get a running start. So we're going to back back up to chapter 1 of 12, just so we can kind of get a running start here as we go through this. So uh, does anybody not have a Bible that needs a Bible here this morning? (coughs) Anyone need a Bible? Everybody good? All right. Well, I'm going to start with verse 1. Let's bow our head in prayer and we'll begin. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you want to bestow, Lord, in all. It's one spirit. We know it's through you, Holy Spirit, and we know that the premise and operation of the gifts is love. Lord, you put it beautifully between chapter 12, 13, and 14. We couldn't miss it right in the middle, Lord. So, God, we pray that you would pour out your love upon us this morning as we would pour out our love upon others. We pray, God, that you write our minds, that we come out of a, a world, Lord, where... Uh, evil is being called good and good evil, and that we would be recalibrated here. We'd be able to be transformed here. Many would come unto salvation, and Lord, sanctification would be working through us here this morning as we draw closer to you, Jesus. But God, we know we can do none of this on our own. We need it all through you, Jesus. And as we just sang this morning, we surrender all, Lord. Let us do that right now. Surrender all to you, never freer. Thank you, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your holy name. Thank you for receiving us. And all God's people prayed. Amen, amen. All right. Again, as we go through the unity and uh, diversity of the spiritual gifts, certainly we'll, uh, we'll talk through each one of these. If you were here last week and you missed uh, three or four of the gifts that we had already done, I encourage you to go up to the website or the app and uh, download the recording and, um, and start with those gifts. But let's get a running start here. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. You're going to see Paul over and over say this. There are, you know, the same Spirit, the same Spirit, the same Spirit, right? There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of Just a few people that can be more spiritually mature than everyone else and draw attention to themselves. Is that what it says in your Bible? No? Okay, just what's it say? For all, right? Did we realize that the giftings are poured out for all of us, right? That we would be encouraged, equipped, edified, right? And even the comfort of the Lord. We'll read that in 1 Corinthians 14. It's for all. It's the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So as we look at it, just from reading through that, I don't think it's difficult for us to understand maybe what was going on in Corinth at that time. As we begin to look at these gifts, it seems that for whatever reason, maybe some of the Christians in Corinth were beginning to somehow um, try to elevate themselves in some capacity because one having one gift, another having enough, drawing attention to themselves. Maybe they're more spiritual, right? Christians never do that, do we? We, we, we never do that. Right. But that's what we it looks like was going on here. And and again, it just speaks to the the problem of division going on in that church. That's why Paul says the greatest is all these gifts is what? Love. You know, they had gone so far. They were striving. They wanted to be spiritual. They wanted all this. And yet they were pushing brothers and sisters away or belittling each other. That's not what family does. It's the family of God. So let's look at the first one that we're up to now, working of miracles. Now, this is a a temporary suspension of the laws of nature, the the laws of physics. 
I'll give you an example. Jesus walking on the water. Okay, I think it's a pretty literal example. Um, I have not ever walked on water. Uh, maybe some of you have, but I have not, and I've not experienced that. Um, if I tried to walk on water and uh, the Holy Spirit has not powered out this gift of a working of a miracle like that way, I'm going to sink and sink quickly, right? Some of you, we call that swimming, right? We put our hands in, right? Or the doggy paddle if you prefer, right? That's the idea here. It's It's a temporary suspension of laws of nature. So it's not something we expect to see all the time, okay? It's not a normal phenomenon. Um, like I said, you and I don't walk on water in a regular occurrence, but Jesus suspended certain laws of God, right? Um, laws of physics and matter to work that miracle as an example. I think in the Old Testament when time stood still, um, you and I don't have the ability to affect that on our own. We don't get to say, time be still, right? No matter how much more time we want, in a day, right? Uh, waking up, some of us, if we had an alarm clock that could do that, we would be stopping time right at around 7 or 6 a.m., right? So the next gift we're going to look at is prophecy. This is one of the three spoken gifts. There's two other spoken gifts, and that's the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation. We'll talk a little bit more about those gifts as we get there. But this gift, I, I think it's truly one of the most misunderstood gifts in all of our Bibles. Um, God gave prophecy through his prophets to speak to us. Um, if you have this gift, I, I gently want to say this. It doesn't make you a prophet. I, I hope you understand that. There's an office, much like an office of a pastor teacher, an office of a prophet, but you can also receive the gifts, right? The gifts, specifically the gift of prophecy. That doesn't always mean future telling. Some, some take this gift and maybe you've heard it or seen it used incorrectly where somebody might in a, in a church, hopefully not this church, but a church where somebody comes up to you and says, man, don't get on that plane. It's not going to end well, right? We, we have to be careful. One, I'm going to go through that. God is very clear in his word that we need to test the spirits. But two, it's not often that we see the gift of prophecy used outside of the exact parameters in which God describes it in chapter 14. If you would, look in your Bible here. At chapter 14, let's just look at verses 1 through 3. We will understand very clearly how this gift is supposed to be used. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy, right? For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So we learned an important, valuable lesson on tongues, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks ministries, but mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks what? Edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. That's the three things that predominantly the Spirit of God will use in that gift of prophecy. And I see it exercised here often, weekly or biweekly, when a brother or sister may go up to another brother or sister and say, how are you doing today? Oh, I, I just lost my job. Oh, my, you know, let me pray for you. And, you know, God's got something even better for you. God wouldn't have let you go like that and not provide. God says you'll never beg bread, as example, in the Proverbs or in the Psalms, something like that. And you just begin to encourage your brother or sister and you're lifting them up. That's actually the gift of prophecy. That's not a word of knowledge. That's not a, a, well, it could be because who knows, God could be telling you this could end up happening. It's not a word of wisdom, which is the application. It could be, it could, you know, in other words, these gifts have, don't have to be used individually. They can culminate three or four gifts at once. It's quite interesting when you talk to someone and, you know, um, you try to say, well, how am I gifted, right? And most people will go to an office, but I want you to think about the gifts for a minute. Can any one of us honestly say that we have just one gift from God through the Holy Spirit? I would say probably not. I, I would imagine many of us in the days we're living have the gift of discernment. We'll talk about that one. Probably at times have the gift of prophecy. Maybe some of you have the gift of tongues. Some of you also have the gift of interpretation, right? It, it's not one gift only. It's the culmination of the way God pours out these gifts, and he calls you to use them for the what? The profit of all. And that's what we see here. It's very, very important. So when we come back, it's, it's important to say that you may have the gift of prophecy, but that does not make you a prophet. No different um, than another gift, per se. It doesn't, doesn't designate an office as an example. But a prophet will certainly have what? The gift of prophecy. Do you see the difference there? So this is kind of, hopefully that makes sense to you. A prophet is an office in the body of Christ, like I said, almost like a pastor teacher as we see it in scripture. Um, I don't know many men or women today alive that are 
prophets, as I would understand from an office perspective. I know in scripture, uh, Deborah, in the book of Judges, she was a prophetess. She had the office of a prophet. Clearly, I've seen that. Jeremiah, uh, some of the prophets, minor and major prophets, as we call them. Um, modern day prophets. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, I believe he was a prophet to the, the Calvary Chapel movement, okay? Uh, Billy Graham. I think Billy Graham held the office of a prophet. I mean, he would go all over the, the world traveling, giving the gospel. And it was so interesting. Um, I, tr- I cannot remember who it was specifically, that said, or I read this, but it said that Billy Graham, was he was first beginning and he was going out in ministry, he was going, I think he was in Africa, he was in another country, he was beginning to share a message, the gospel, and as he was doing it the first night, like, I don't know, maybe there was, you know, a quarter of the, the crowd they would have anticipated to come to hear the word of God. And a lot of people, I think, got concerned because they're like, oh, you know, you know, Billy Graham and, you know, boy, we're not really, you know, the seats and what's going on. Is there, was there a problem with spiritual? So he had gone back to his room, the hotel that night, and he had been really praying. And another brother was actually in the hall down and, you know, another um, evangelist as well and given the gift in, in the office of an evangelist. And he'd coming up and he had said, you know, brother, I just I don't know what it was yesterday. I just I was given the word, but it just it it almost felt like I was stifled or I, I couldn't get out of my own way. You know, some of you know, some of you may know what that experience is like. Lord puts a word on your heart. You you have all the and it's right there. And you're like, blah, 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 and it just doesn't come out the way you'd expect it to come out. You know, just Lord, I I saw this going in such a different direction in a different way. Well, Billy Graham turned around and and the brother looked at him. He says, brother, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine saying that to Billy Graham, right? You know, have you been baptized, brother? And he says, you know, I don't know much about what, you know, you're talking about this. You know, I know it's in the word, but I'm, I'm not so sure. He says, brother, why don't you come to my room and we'll, we'll pray. And he, he opened up the scripture and Billy began to follow along. And he was, he came right to 1 Corinthians 12 and he began to go down through these. And he says, have you prayed for the api, the, the upon, the baptizing of the Holy Spirit? And Billy Graham's like, I, you know, honestly, I, I haven't prayed that. And he says, brother, have you been doing this all through your, you know, yourself, you know, not, not knocking him, but saying like in your own energy, we can do things that way sometimes in our own energy, in our own striving. And, and it's not always necessarily wrong, but what's going to happen. We're going to run on E eventually we're going to run out. Right. So Billy, Billy turns around um, and he comes back and he says, you know, I need this. He says, but I, I don't know what to do. And he says, oh, it's very, get on your knees and pray and ask God to give you a filling. Phil, let him baptize you in the Holy Spirit right now. His brother laid hands on him and he prayed. And he says, I don't really feel all that different. You know, it wasn't something like, you know. But he said, man, I understand the boldness now that Peter, as he, as he spoke that sermon in Acts chapter, you know, two through four. You know, so he says, all right. So the next night, you know, Billy goes back in his room. And he's he's going to go get ready to preach a, a message. And he's sitting there and he's just like, Lord. What do you want to do? What do you want to pour out tonight? Just pour out the gifts, Lord. Give me whatever gift you want to give. Just pour it out, Jesus, for your glory, for the profit of all. He comes in and he thought, boy, you know, here he is in another country. He says, after last night, it was already sort of sparse. The word's going to get around. Because you got to remember, it was in, I think it was in, um, outside of England. It was, uh, I was in Welsh country. But, you know, there, they're used to very, powerful preaching, you know, uh, you know, fire and brimstone sometimes, a call to action, you know, from the pulpit. And they found, you know, like I said, the night before Billy Graham, just to be a little bit passive in his preaching. And so that next night he, he, he's, he's ready, he's getting, and he just says, I don't know if anybody's going to come. That night, the whole place is full. Okay. You could, the, all, every chair, every area was full. He got up there and the Lord just spoke through Billy Graham and his buddy that was in the back, one of the, the his brother that way was in the back and he just began to weep. And he said, how can you not see the Holy Spirit in the presence of the Holy Spirit right now? He says, this is miraculous and marvelous all at the same time. Later on, you know, he, he talked to Billy before he had passed and actually went back to his house and he had said to his own dad, he said, Dad, something tonight happened like I've never seen in my life. He said, Billy came and he was baptized. He asked to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he says, and when that man opened his mouth, it was the word of God that went forward. And there wasn't a dry eyes. His thousands came forward. He, they gave their lives to Christ. That's not of a man. You see, when the night before, when Billy came out as Billy, we saw what the result of that was. But when Billy came out as the prophet that God had sent, oh, we saw a much different, a much different uh, uh, response. Amen?
So when we begin to look at the, the gift of prophecy, it's important to understand that. We don't see many of that today. And men that or women that declare themselves as prophets, I, I, immediately a flag should go up. You check in your spirit because it's it's an office of humility. If I would have said to Pastor Chuck when he was alive, hey, Pastor Chuck, you're you're a prophet, he would have you know, kick me out. He was like, get out of here, you know? No, absolutely not. And Billy Graham, I much, imagine much the same, you know? Billy Graham said, no, 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 no. You know, it's a humility, right? Um, now, this gift is not always or usually isn't used to predict the future. The gift is God speaking through you. This is the gift of prophecy to stir up others, encourage others, and build up a believer, giving comfort to the believers. We just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. But we, have, we, we understand that God has also given us guidelines to this and how this operation of the gift so that we can test and know it be of man or of God, okay? Because don't we want to know that, especially if it's future telling or even if it's a manifestation of the gift there? We want to know where's this coming from. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John chapter 4. We know that the prophecy, well, the gift of prophecy will never contradict Scripture. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Prophecy will speak biblically of Jesus. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Turn to your right. You're very close. One more book over there. Two, first, second, third John, and then Revelation. For testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what? Prophecy. Turn back to 1 John, back to your left. 1 John chapter 4, look at verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. It's another way to know if the gift of prophecy is from God um, or from man. Well, what about future telling? I'm talking about the future or something that would be. Does it, does it come true? Does it bear witness to God? Turn in your Bible back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 18. As we were going in our midweek study, we're in the Old Testament. We're almost uh, finished with the book of Deuteronomy, and then we're going to be going to the book of Joshua. But if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and you look at verses 15 through 22, I'd like to read this to you. Very clearly, God explains the gift of prophecy. He also explains a prophet and what one would do and what we're to do to test that, right? I even think in five years I've been here, I've only had two people come up to me with prophetic words that they, three, excuse me, I'm wrong. I, th I think I said in first service too. Three, another one was just, pro and I've written every one of them down. If they come to be true, it's a prophet or a prophetess. If they come not to be true, then I have to declare that a false prophecy. Well, where do I get that from? What right do I have to do, you know? Well, the word of God. Look at verses uh, 15 through 22 in chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from the midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. He was talking about, obviously, um, ultimately Jesus, but in this case, Moses, the near fulfillment of this, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, and Joshua would be one too as well. Okay, let me not hear again the voice, well, pardon me, I'm jumping around, according to all that you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see the great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command them. So he's a mouthpiece of God, right? That's what a prophet does. And that's what the gift of prophecy, the mouthpiece of God, of the Lord that way. And it shall be whoever will not hear my words, which he speak in my name, I will require it of him. Well, that's sobering. But the prophet who presumes to speak the word in my name, what does that mean? Thus saith the Lord, and it is not of God. It is of man who presumed to say that, which unfortunately today, many men and women take the name of the Lord God very um, casually, you know, just very happens. Oh, the Lord made me do it. No, 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 no. That's presumptuously, unless it be from God. And if it is from God, then you declare it. Thus saith the Lord. So he says here, that uh, if you presumably to speak the word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall what? Die. 
that was pretty heavy. Aren't, aren't you glad we're under the covenant, a better covenant, a covenant of grace? We don't, if somebody makes a false prophecy, we declare them a false prophet, but you and I aren't walking out to the garden grabbing stones and heading outside and saying, well, we got to do it. No, we're under a better covenant, a covenant of grace, praise the Lord, right? So this is important. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? In other words, how do we know, right? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is, this is the thing, or that is the thing, which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. You, you basically don't have to listen to that. If somebody comes up to you and says, the plane is going down tomorrow and throws a lot of guilt, and that is that comfort? I don't find that to be comfort. Now, if somebody comes up and says, you know, the Lord really put this on my heart for you. I pray, brother, you are, so, I, you know, I love you. And I just, I'm so, you know, really encouraging. He says, you know, would you please pray about, you know, your travels and travel mercies for what? Not instilling fear or guilt or anything like that. You might receive that. You might say, okay, we'll see, you know, maybe you get on that plane. <laughs> maybe you don't, you know, that's between you and Jesus. You test the spirits. Well, that's what we're required to do. But somebody that works through guilt or anger, or I got a word for you. And then they come over and say, hey, the way you're doing this and that, and it's negative, well, that's not from God. And what did you say? You're to have nothing to do with them. And on that way, all right? You don't need to hear that or give any credence to that prophecy. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, prophetic utterances should be allowed in the church. The, the gift is for today. We see the gifts for today, right? Otherwise, in chapter 14, we also wouldn't have read of 1 Corinthians 30, verse 39. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. God wouldn't have said, hey, don't forbid this if it wasn't for today. He's, he's commanding it. He says, don't you stop them, pastors. Don't you stop them, elders. He says, let the body speak as God leads. Now, I will say this. Will God ever contradict in the middle of a service his word? Is the Holy Spirit not reading? Is this not his word we're reading line by line? That's why we don't expect someone to yell out in a tongue or somebody to, because what? They would be interrupting themselves. Well, specifically interrupting God, okay? God, the Holy Spirit would interrupt the Son, Jesus, or the Father. We'll never see that. Everything's done with decency and order, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. Everything is done with decency and order. We don't need to be afraid of these gifts, we don't need to be afraid of these gifts. When they're not done with decency and order, that's when you end up with this lathering up emotionalism of a Holy Spirit where people are throwing themselves down and barking like dogs and doing all kinds of crazy things. And you never see that in Scripture. You don't find one place in Scripture where, where someone does something uh, where they're not in control of their faculty. Even when they spoke in a tongue, they were... Did you, everybody heard that. They didn't go, oh, you know, you don't read about how them, you know, they're grabbing their head and trying to, no, it was peaceable. People heard there was an interpretation given. You know, we, we see everything done with decency and order. But we also read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, but test all things, hold fast to what is good, right? Therefore, if I could just sum it up in five bullet points for you here this morning, I know how we like bullet points or we like numbers, five points, right? I don't have seven. I don't have six. I'm sorry. I can lose five, right? In regards to future telling, well, first of all, a prophet must not contradict anything God has previously revealed. That would be the first one. Scripture is not going to contradict it. And the spirit of God, if it be of the spirit, it's not going to contradict the word of God. A prophecy in some way or capacity must exalt Jesus Christ, it's never going to say Jesus isn't Lord or the word isn't God. It's not going to in any way take away from the truth of God or take away from the truth of Jesus. A prophet's life, speaking of an office, right? A prophet's life must be consistent with the prophecy he or she gives, right? So if somebody is ignoring the big old plank in their eye, but they're focusing on the little splinter in yours, that may not be of the Lord. Right? You test the spirits there. Number four, because someone meets the above criteria does not naturally mean that the message is from God. The leaders and each particular assembly should do what? Should be the ones to make that determination. Deuteronomy 18, you come together and you test the spirit. Number five, prophecies should be tested. If they hold true, they should not be despised. We shouldn't, we shouldn't run away from the gift of prophecy. 
God wants to encourage us and comfort us and equip us and edify. And we shouldn't run away from it just because some have mishandled the gift. Doesn't mean that everybody mishandles the gift. You know, I like I said, weekly or biweekly here, I, I see you all exercising this gift and you do it in order. As you come in and you greet somebody and you build them up, you edify, you comfort them. That's just what we read in chapter 14, um, verse 3. That's the gift of prophecy, right? It's not just or not always explicitly future telling. Let's go on to another gift, the gift of discernment. Oh my, <laughs> if you're not all praying for this gift, pray for the gift of discernment today. More than any, uh, I don't want to say more than any other gift, but certainly it's needed today with all that's going on. God bless you. This is another revelation gift whereby you discern something is from God or not from God. Very clearly, uh, it can be from or not from. And again, this is an important today when you see the things coming out of the pulpit um, you know, not from God and not from his word today. And so uh, we need to test the spirits that way. Um, there are pastors that uh, don't want to speak of sin. They will call it stuff. Um, just recently I heard, uh, not on a Calvary Chapel radio station, but on another radio, I was listening. I was, and I, I, the pastor began to say, you know, I don't want to offend anyone. And I thought, oh my, Jesus is an offense. I don't want to offend anyone, but this stuff and right, I, I'm driving the car. I want to pull over. Give me the number. You know, it's not stuff. It's sin. It's spirit and truth. It's not spirit alone. It's spirit and truth. We're not to compromise sin. It's sin. Call it sin. And the idea behind it is we don't want to be sinning, do we? I don't think there's any of us here that are like, man, yeah, I'm going to go get me some sin today. Right? But if we don't see God's word, you know, calibrating us, straightening it, we're, we're going to compromise. I'm going to compromise. I need the word of God. I need the Holy Spirit. I know that. Uh, I have the carnality of man. While I'm not uh, given to sin anymore, Romans chapter 7 and 8, sin is dead in me. I still make that choice willingly, which is wrong. But I do because I compromise. Right? And before you all get worried, your pastor's going off. And it's not. I'm talking everyday things like just submission. God's desire for submission for my life, for your lives. Submitting to authority, submitting to God and obedience, you know. Laying my life down for my family, my wife, as Christ so loved the church. Living this out, it's, it's got to be intentional. It's hard, it's difficult, but it's, it's right, it's Christ-like. So discernment's really important because if you listen to some TV evangelists today, they'd have you think God is poor or he's in the poorhouse. I mean, send us your millions and millions of dollars, you know, because if not, God can't do his work. What? I don't read that in scripture. My God's got cattle on a thousand hills. And it's the willingness of his people the community that come together, that, fought, that God has birthed in the church, that provide for the body of Christ and, and then in turn provide for the community. And it's what God does in the spirit of the believer. And it's not forced or coerced. It's not a coercion. You know, hey, we got a thermometer. We're at this point. No, God will move and he'll put it on the hearts of his people. And, and it's beautiful when it's done right because only God gets the glory for that and not a man or a woman. That's just one example, right? But, but there's just so much coming from the pulpits today that, that unfortunately is not based on scripture. And if you hear that and you get a check in your spirit, pay attention to that, right? Pay attention to that. Look, I want you to be Bereans here. I want you to be Bereans here. You come into the sanctuary here. The word is God is open. I want every one of you testing everything I say in the light of scripture. There should be not an original thought of my own. I, I don't have original thoughts. My thoughts are the thoughts of the Lord. And anything contrary to that is sin upon me. Right? You need to be Bereans upon that. You, nobody, because they're in an office, a pastor teacher, is above, you know, reproach that way from the Lord, from correction. We need to be spirit-led. We need to have this gift of discernment. I'll give you an example of this. A few years ago, I think it's probably uh, three to four years ago, Pastor Steve was uh, with me. We were late one night. We had teen ministry, uh, and the teens were gathered. And uh, it was at Railroad Avenue, uh, the old uh, fellowship. And we were gathered. It was a smaller building. Remember, we could, you know, we were there, and the teens were gathered. It was around 9.30 or so at night. And as they were gathered, uh, a gentleman came to the door. 
And he said, hey, can I speak to the pastor? And so he came in and made his way in. And I was in the other room with uh, Pastor Steve. We were doing something. I'm not sure exactly what we were doing, working on something. Teens were over a meeting. I think they were just finishing up their, their uh, meeting time. And um, there was something that right away I just discerned a heaviness or, or a darkness to this, this situation, this individual, almost as if he maybe he was demon-possessed. I don't know. I, I, I'm not a judge, but certainly something was, you know what I'm talking about? Y'all have walked in some place or somebody's walked and boy, you just get a check in your spirit. You know something's off. This was that moment, okay? And I sat there and I'm thinking, Lord, I have the teens here. We have young people here. And their safety is, is preeminent, right? As well as, uh, you know, uh, the Andrew at the time was leading the teen ministry, um, you know, his safety. And so I, I, sir, come on, you know, come with me. We went into the other room. Uh, back uh, used to be the children's room at that time. Obviously, there were no children in there in time. But we bring him in and we sit down. This man's very, very agitated. He begins kind of pounding. Uh, he had a glass of water. I'm watching this water starting to go over. I can clearly see things are getting a little bit escalated and elevated. He starts to slouch and he's sitting on. Pastor Steve's sitting sort of at his angle to him diagonally. And I can kind of see, uh, I don't know, I, you know, there's a table there, so I can't see, but I'm just discerning. This man has a gun. This man wants to do harm. And I just discerned it, just as I know is, you know, uh, anything that way from God. I just knew it, and I said, okay. And I began to just try to de-escalate the situation. Again, thinking, let's get the teens out of the building. Let's, okay. So as I'm talking to this man, you know, I, again, I, I just... I'm waiting almost for him to, you know, a voice to come out. I mean, it's that moment right out of scripture. And so I sit there and I'm like, okay. So we de-escalate. I say, hey, why don't you come back tomorrow? I don't know if he was inebriated or what was going on. I said, why don't you come back tomorrow? We'll, we'll, we'll talk more. The, the young people aren't here, you know, whatever the Lord's going to do. He says, okay, we get him out. We can walk out. All right, we, the teen ministry dismisses. They get in the car. My son at the time, my two boys at the time were in team ministry. One's at college now, but the other one. And he looks and he turns around and he, he, he says, Dad, can I, uh, can I say something? And I'm like, of course, what's going on? He says, Dad, uh, you, you might think I'm a little strange. And I said, son, what's, what's going on? He says, Dad, I, I think that man had a gun. Now, I hadn't talked to him about any of this or anything. He says, I think that man had a gun. He says, I think there was something off there, Dad. But I don't know what it was and I don't, I don't really understand it. And his brother was going, yeah, something just was heavy. That's all he kept saying. It was heavy. You know about demonic? You know it's a heavy. Okay, it's heavy. And it's the way he kept referring to it. And I said, oh, it's okay. So, you know, we're going to pray for the man. We just started praying for the man right there in the car with my boys. Um, well, about, I don't know, five minutes later, I get a call from Andrew, who at the time was teaching uh, the teen ministry. He says, Pastor, can I just talk to you? I said, sure, Andrew, what's going on? He says, uh boy, I just can't let it go. He goes, that man that walked into that building when the teens were there, he goes, I, I think he might've had a weapon on him. He didn't say a gun per se, but he said, I think he might've had a weapon on him. And I think something's off. I think that man might've been demon possessed. He, again, he a little bit older, a little more you know, mature, spiritually able to discern. He says, I think that man might've had, might've been demon possessed. And I said, Andrew, you know, uh, I said, your spirit bears witness to my spirit and the witness of my two children that have also bared witness to that spirit. I said, none of us talked. And, and, you know, Pastor Steve at the time, I called him the next day and I said, hey, and he's like, oh yeah, there was something off. There was just no doubt about it. There was something off. And um, that was discernment. That's the gift of discernment. None of us had talked. None of us had uh, collaborated on that. But every one of us knew at that moment that that gentleman, when he came in, he was either demon possessed, he was either oppressed and potentially had a weapon and was looking to do harm. And God was protecting his flock. God was protecting his teens. He was protecting his children. And he clearly let us know, de-escalate the situation, get the man out of the building right? And that's what we did. And so that's a great example of discernment. And I know that I know that I know that gift is very much alive and well today. And you that have that gift know exactly what I'm talking about, because you can look right in someone's eyes and you know exactly what's going on in their hearts and lives before they even utter a word to you. You know. Tongues, our next gift that we look at. It's a prayer language, right? It's me speaking to God. He who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look at verse 2. That's how we know that. No one understands what he or she is saying without an interpretation. This is important because we read that if a man speaks in a tongue, right, 
and it's right in the middle of service, as an example, and you're sitting here maybe as a believer or maybe we have unbelievers and nobody gives a gift of interpretation because the word of God is going forward and that would be contradictory to scripture to interrupt himself, the Holy Spirit. Uh, what would happen? You would think that that person is crazy or out of their mind. That's what Paul actually goes on to say. He says, look, if you're going to do this in, in chapter 14, he says, you're going to think this person is crazy or they're, they're going to think, excuse me, you're out of your mind. It's actually verse 23. He says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who aren't informed or unbelievers, will they not say you are out of your mind? We're to do decent things with decency and order. There must be a gift of interpretation. And Sunday nights, we have our prayer meetings. And a lot of times a gift of tongues is manifested and there's an interpretation and we, the gifts are very much well. And it's a prayer language and it's appropriate, right? Very, very appropriate. So we see the gifts manifested, but this is what the gift of tongues is. It's not, uh, you know, sometimes I've heard people say, well, I had a gift of tongue and I went up and gave somebody a word. You did not do that in a tongue. The Bible very clear is that it says it's not for man, but for who? God. It's for God. It's just simply scriptural, right? It's not me wanting to argue with you about that. It's just what the Word of God says. If you have a problem with that, please take it up with the author, right? So we already talked about why we understand that that doesn't get manifested in the middle of church service, like now, because God is already speaking through His Word and His Holy Spirit. But at prayer meetings, again, it would be appropriate. But it's never heard without interpretation. And a lot of times... It's important, as kind of we'll move into the next gift here, interpretation. Um, when you have an interpretation, for those that have been praying for this gift or not, um, it's not a translation. How many of you speak another language? Some of you in here? Okay. I speak a little bit of Italian. Okay, so another language, right? You know how when you dream in another language, some of you know what I'm talking about. If you speak two languages, you begin to dream in another language when you truly have ownership of that language, if it's a second language for you. That's how you kind of know. You, you start to dream in it, right? You, you, it's that kind of a thing where you, you, you begin to, it's, it's in your inner ear, but it's not a translation. It's an interpretation. What do I mean? Well, when I was at the, uh, I think it was a pastor's conference years ago, I, I didn't have that gift previously. And we had been praying at an afterglow in a prayer meeting with pastors and a, a gentleman, a brother from Puerto Rico, he was a pastor, and he began to just speak, and he started speaking in tongues. And um, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, it was like stereo. I just heard in the inner ear all the praises that he was praying unto God. And at first, I thought, what happened? You know, And I'm looking around because I'm like, amen, right? So be it. And so a lot of people are their heads down. I realized, Lord, you just manifested the gift. The Holy Spirit just gave me the gift of interpretation. I began to hear it. And I thought to myself, and there was another gentleman, pastor, who had been pastoring for 30 years. He had never had that gift. God poured it out in that prayer meeting that evening. And I remember Pastor Henry Ganey used to do the afterglows for Costa Mesa and uh, Pastor Chuck in, 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 um, in Calvary Chapel, the original movement. And I remember he says, write it down. Write it down. So he always used to say, write down the interpretation. I remember writing it down. And I thought, oh, my, you know, what if I got it wrong? What, you know, all these things that run through your head, right? I wrote it down, and the other pastor had written it down, an assistant pastor. And um, he collected. And then after, after the afterglow, after prayer meeting was done, he opened, well, the interpretation was given, certainly, right at that moment. But then afterwards, at the, opened it up, and it was striking, the similarity. Of course it was. It was the Holy Spirit. Of course it's going to be similar. But there was a couple words that were not identical. And I remember looking at Pastor Henry, I said, Pastor, why is that? He says, look in your Bible again. Calvary Chapel, Pastor, we're a little tough with each other sometimes, you know. Hey, read your Bible again, buddy. You know, so open up your Bible. So we open up. I knew where he said, you know, I knew where he was talking about. I went to 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and I'm looking, I'm looking. He says, yeah, and I'm just glazing right over it. I'm not getting it. He says, now look at it again. And I must have looked at it twice. And he goes, does it say there, I mean, you know the Greek, does it say there translation or interpretation? And it was like, Bing, it clicked. It says interpretation. He says, yes, it's not a word-for-word -word translation. He says, now look at these again. And I went, praise be God. Praise be God. So if you have, if the Lord pours this gift out on you, and you're at an afterglow, or you're in a prayer meeting, and all of a sudden you hear something, and you're a little nervous, because what if I don't get it word-for-word -word right? First of all, wrong, right? Be faithful and obedient. Speak what the Spirit puts on the heart, and just speak it if, if the Lord puts on your heart to do so. The second thing is if somebody else starts doing it at the same time, which generally that doesn't happen, someone will speak it and someone else might speak something after. And it's very similar. 
don't say, oh, maybe I don't have the gift. No, you do, but it's not the gift of translation. It's the gift of interpretation. I want to set people at ease with that because there are some churches that teach, if that happens, that you don't really have the gift. And I just think that's not scriptural because, again, it's not translation, it's interpretation. That's a beautiful gift, right? It's, it's what someone is speaking to God, interpreted for others to understand and agree in praise. So be it, which means amen, right? Because um, God does everything with decency and order, chapter 1440 right, of 1 Corinthians. This is the body of Christ. God knits his people together, and he does it in unity. Division is never from God. I want you to know that. You'll see that in Scripture. Division is never from God that way, okay? God gives diversity, but he doesn't turn around and give division, okay? God is not the author of division. Uh, we should never think like the Corinthians were doing, that it's okay to compare our giftings, um, to in another way or to another person drawing attention to ourselves or trying trying to demonstrate some type of spiritual superiority. That, that's what was happening in Corinth. And he, he says, no, that's not to happen. My question is, did you give yourself the gift? No, you did not. Somebody, God specifically, the Holy Spirit, poured that gift out upon you. And it was based on his pleasure, as we'll read, based on his purpose, his plan. Right? That's a lordship issue. I want all the gifts. Amen. Praise the Lord. I pray that same prayer. But pastor, why have I only got this gift? Or why have I? Because what did he just say as we read earlier? It's of one spirit. It's the body. He's drawing us together. And he gives the unique. We do not all want to be toes. He's going to use an example of the human body in a moment. We do not all want to be fingers. He's going to bless and gift that's going to be good for the comprehensive total of the body of Christ. Not just individually. Yes, he gives us individually, but it's the profit for all. If we all just had one gift, but we didn't have any of the other gifts, what would happen? We'd be lacking in some areas, wouldn't we? And that's why he draws us together the way he does it. And he draws the giftings and pours out the giftings that way. But we shouldn't think of ourselves more spiritual than another person because we have one gift or another because you didn't give yourself the gifts. God distributed them, and it's needed as he, the Holy Spirit determines by the body of Christ and the functioning of his design. You know, the word of God will transform the heart, the spirit, and the mind, and we need to understand that God has drawn us to his truth um, and his love, certainly, so that we could be made effective for the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4, that's the purpose. That's why we gather. That's why we pour over the scripture. We're commanded to do that. We're commanded to do this. We're commanded to gather. We're commanded to pour over Scripture. That we would grow, that we would be faithful and ready for the work, that our calling and election could be made sure for the work of God, right? Because he's the one that does the transforming. And we're drawn to his truth and his love, and it can be made effective so that we could keep it all for ourselves? No, so that we could share it with others, right? Over the years, I've, I've watched people come and go for many different reasons. It, it saddens me. Sends my heart because biblically, we're to get plugged into a Bible-believing church and then grow spiritually together until he comes to take us home. We're to invest in each other knowing that God is the master potter shaping us for the work he's called us to. And there's going to be disagreements. We're going to have disagreements, right? Just like in Corinth, it's, it's going to be. But, and, and well, I'll even say it this way, are there clicks? I remember a, a couple months ago, I was giving a teaching. I said, I don't think there's clicks here. And somebody says, I think there is. And I step back and I, I listen and I test the spirits and I looked around. And I said, yeah, you know what? There is clicks. There are clicks here. And then I thought, Lord, is that of you? And then I started reading the Bible in that regard, looking and saying, is that of you? And it is. I, 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 I'll give you an example. There are clicks everywhere in Scripture. Did Moses and Aaron and the leadership, were they primarily together? Yes, they were. But did that mean that they were not to fellowship with others? No, it did not. Clicks are okay. What's a fancy way of saying it? Look, there are like-minded people in this room here that you happen to be drawn to for whatever reason, personality, uh, similar hobbies, interests, and you're naturally gravitating towards that person. Maybe they compliment you or quite honestly, maybe they're the opposite of you and you also are drawn to them for that reason. That's a good thing, but it can't be the end-all be-all. In other words, and I said this the first service, and I, I threw second service sort of under the bus. Normally, you know, there's not as many as open seats. I kind of made the joke. I said, um, 
Yeah. Well, before you go, wait a minute, Pastor, second, sorry, listen to what I'm going to say. I said, it, it's nice when you come in. I said, because people generally have the similar seating. Each week, you all sit where you tend to typically sit when you come here, okay? Some of you kind of move around, right? You kind of, little random seating, little uh, musical chairs. But some of you pick seating that you're comfortable. There's nothing wrong with that. And then I kind of made the joke. I said, now what happens if somebody comes in and goes to sit in the seat you typically sit in? Now, I know your brothers and sisters in Christ and you love them. So you're going to say, it is so great to meet you. I'm glad you're new here. Welcome and please have a seat there because this will be the last time, right? No, you don't say that, but that's what you're thinking because next week I'm going to get there five minutes earlier than them and I will welcome them next to me two seats down and say, welcome to that seat, right? We have these areas. We find our comfort. We clicks, call it what you want, gatherings as we do it, and we get comfortable. It's okay. The question is, is do we only stay in the seat we're in or do we eventually take those folks over here on this side of the fellowship, do you ever mosey on over during uh, meet and greet time and give hugs to folks over here? And do folks, uh, folks over here come over this way? Or when you go in the cafe, you know, do you, do you meet and greet? And then when we have times where we gather, um, you know, the whole fellowship together, first and second service, you know, when it's uh, a lot of our times, when you know, um, potlucks, things like that, people are kind of, are we quick to extend a hand and say, well, you know, so good. Are you first service? I'm who are, you know, and just to get to meet each other, hug each other, encourage each other. <coughs> you see, because that, that's okay. Clicks are okay. But it's not okay if we only stay in our peer group, right? We, we need to get out of the peer group. We, we, we're going to be drawn to certain people, right? Some of you are going to be like, I don't really like Pastor Matt. I love him, but I don't really like certain things about him. Okay, Praise the Lord that you love me and you love the word of God more than that, right? That's okay. But at the end of the day, we're going to interact, right? We're going we're gonna to be brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm joking. Hopefully, you know, I love all of you, and hopefully you guys uh, once in a while can love me, you know? So <laughs> it's hard. I know. My wife, it, it takes a lot of work. Um, I married up. I married up. So the, the, the reality is, is this is what God is showing us, right? He, he, he's showing us that... that there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be clashes. We're going to see these things in court. And it's not necessarily bad because we tend to gravitate. But when I look back to the sin of Corinth, and this is important, and we can't, you know, we can laugh and we can chuckle here. But what was the sin of Corinth? When you really look back at it, what happened? It went unchecked. And what, what was that sin? It was a sin of division. It was pride. It was a lack of affection for each other in spite of their differences. And that can't be allowed. That can't be allowed in a church. It just can't be because it will automatically, it, it just will destroy. They failed to see that it was the same spirit that brought them together and taught them and empowered them and distributed the gifts and individually as he wills, right? Verse 11. L look at verse 12 with me now. For as the body is one and it has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also, circle that, also in Christ. Paul now uses the illustration of the human body, okay, to witness to this point. Did you know that the human body has an average of 37.2 trillion cells in it? I just want you to think about that for a minute. Regardless of the size or structure, right, all human cells start with these particular things in common. A nucleus that contains DNA, the genetic library, for the entire body. What did he say? One spirit? Okay. God just gave us, even in the human body, a very reference to it. You can't miss it throughout creation. You can't even miss it through the creation of the body, how perfect in, in what God has done. I want you to think about the eye, the nose, the ears, the hands, fingers, legs, toes, organs, skin. They all have specific function, but they all work in harmony within the same body. Very unique functions, right? But they come together in an orderly fashion to operate the human body. You don't see the left leg going, you know what? I think I'm going left today. And the right leg says, I'm just going right, you know? You, you don't see that. Why? Why? Because it would create utter, utter confusion. There has to be a submission of the left leg and the right leg to what? To walk, to the body. And that's exactly for us as a body of Christ. Submission is important to who? To Jesus. Otherwise, we're all going to have different opinions. We're all going to have these different ideas. And we're going to do this. And that's why he's using the illustration of the human body. He's saying that 
ultimately, here's what happens. And this is exactly what happened in Corinth. Initially, when we begin to see this sort of slight division like that, using the human body, it results in what? Mobility issues. Left leg wants to go this way. The right leg wants to go that way. It's going gonna, it's gonna to ultimately, right, cause mobility issues. What happens after that? It keeps putting farther and farther apart. What's going to happen? That person's going to fall. That person's going to fall. Now, what do you think would cause that left leg to want to go left and right leg want to go right, not to submit under the authority and word of God? Maybe pride? And what did God say? Pride goes before the fall. Check, right? Word of God, best interpretation of Scripture is the word of God interpreting Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. So beautiful that we get this from God in this illustration of the human body. Um, Chapters 2 and 3, you look at the seven churches, all but one of the churches, the Church of Philadelphia. And when you begin to study that, what happens in each one of those churches? First of Ephesus, they leave their first love, but then what? which means they take their eyes off Christ. But then what else did they begin to do? They begin to focus on all these other things. You know, the works and the gifts of God and, the, you know, all these things, you know, instead of worshiping the God, they worship the gifts of God. We have to be careful. I, I'll say it another way. What do you call it when a cell or a cell goes rogue, radical, and begins to malfunction? What do we call that? Cancer, that's right. Cancer is the uncontrolled growth of an abnormal cell in the body. Cancer develops when the body's normal control mechanisms stop working. What's our control mechanism? The Holy Spirit. When we sear the Spirit of God. That's where division comes from. You back into it, right? And old cells don't die. Instead, they grow out of control, forming new abnormal cells. And these extra cells often form masses, and these new masses we call, these tissues are called a tumor, and they're presented, something you can see. Paul says it's the same, in verse 12 there, also in Christ. He's given this as an illustration that it works the same way in the body, in the church. It, it works the same way. The body of Christ is to work together, functioning the way Christ would just have us to do. Each member must be submitted to operate in harmony, right? And be led by Jesus. That's what we all want to do, don't we? We all want to. I, I don't know of anybody specifically here that doesn't want to do that. But at times we get rogue ideas or our emotions can get the best of us and our emotions can betray us, our feelings can betray us. And we end up kind of going off this way and we're, we're dead certain we're right because we've been wronged. But we forgot the very first spiritual law that we read right in the middle of all these gifts. Chapter 12 and 14, you have chapter 13. And Paul exhorts it as a very important spiritual law, greater than anything. And what is it? Love. We're so quick to forget that spiritual gift. When we've been wronged, how are you going to make, you know, how are you going to make this right? Boy, that doesn't sound like a grace, a grace-filled response. We, we were going to blow it, aren't we? I'm, I'm going to blow it all the time. I, I know that about me. You know, I'm not going to get it right all the time. But I know that God is so gracious with me, and I know he treats me as a child, not as a, a, a you know, as a stranger, he welcomes me. He brings me close. He cleanses me. He washes my mind with his word. He gives me his unconditional love in a way that, that nothing else compares to that. And it doesn't matter how I'm hurt. It doesn't matter what's going on. At the end of the day, when I submit to Jesus, I'm going to do it his way. And I know that my opinions and thoughts don't really matter. What matters is God's design and his opinion and thoughts. Because they're right. It's not the democracy or republic of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. 90% of all our issues in this world is lordship issues. Us not surrendering and submitting to God. Us, us being afraid of authority or the authorities put us in. Again, look at, look in scripture. When has God not blessed someone that placed themselves under authority of Christ? Or authority of even a man like Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel. I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, wicked, uh, wicked king, right? Wicked king. I don't think anybody else could disagree with that. Nebuchadnezzar, you can read about him. And yet, Daniel submitted himself. And did God not bless that man? And did God not end up, oh man, we could almost go into a teaching in Daniel right now. I mean, God just went before that. It's wonderful. 
And ultimately, what are we to submit ourselves? To the word of God. That's the ultimate authority, the word of God, Jesus. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. The logos. We, we need to do this. And I, I need to do this. I need to do this first. So I'm not, I'm not pointing at you. I need to do this. Every day I need to crucify my flesh. But this is why he says also. He's, he's relating it back that we must be submitted to operate in harmony, to be led by just. I want Calvary Chapel Harrisburg in the eyes of Christ from God's perspective to be that church of Philadelphia. I want him to look down and say, well done. It wasn't about individuals. It became about the whole. It became, what are we doing to help the whole out? And therefore, individually, we sacrificed our feelings, our emotions, and we did it for Jesus. We came together for Jesus. We met each other's needs for Jesus. But that only works if the body of Christ is submitted to the word of God. And we all begin to do this and not just sort of punch the Sunday ticket and walk out and then say, well, that was really good while we're there. But now we're going into the you know, life, and uh, I don't know if that works out here. It's a different set of rules. God says there's a narrow way and a wide way that leads to destruction. There are some areas we can see the body causing disputes, fighting, pride, sin in Corinth. We recognize this like a cancer. The normal control mechanism has stopped working what is it within the church? What is that normal control mechanism? It's the Holy Spirit. Please recognize this with me this morning. Don't walk out of here until you've recognized this. That this is what happens and it begins in the believer. That's why revival begins in the heart of the believer. Because it's a heart issue in all of us. And the sooner we submit to that, oh, what can't God do? What can't God do in the community, in the area, in our own hearts, in our families? You know, our friendships. We need to get rid of that entitlement. You know, we need to get rid of it all. Praise you, Jesus, that you have freed me. You redeemed me from that. I don't want to be in an open prison cell where there's a door that I can walk out any time, but because of my own despair, I keep myself in it. I don't, I don't want to live a life, a Christian life like that. The door is open. Walk out and experience the freedom of Jesus Christ and the grace and knowledge and truth of our Lord and Savior. Verse 13, we'll close with this. For by one spirit, we all were baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. We just, uh, we just had a missionary come back from Israel. Laura was over there for three weeks. She's back with us. We're going to have her up here sharing in a few weeks. Excited what God has uh, uh, done and how he's put it in our hearts, how he's led that way. And we, we were able to be a part of that, praise Jesus, financially as well as praying for her to go. And, and I'm excited about that, to hear all that God has done. Kind of like when Paul would come back to Antioch and deliver back to the church the good news. I'm excited. Well, in verse 13, we read, we are baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, we drink of the same Holy Spirit. What's our commonality, friends? Many some of us wouldn't even hang out here together, wouldn't go over each other's house, wouldn't interact. But what's our commonality? Jesus, right? It's a unity. God who loves us, Jesus who redeemed us, and the Holy Spirit who unites us into one body. It's the three. It's the Trinity. And that's what we see here. I don't think it goes without saying that Paul is not talking about water baptism, right? We're told here that it is the baptism of what? The Spirit, not water, right? Paul's not talking about an initiation of some type of water baptism in any kind of communion of saints. It's not like you're baptized in this communion of saints. You want unity? You want diversity of gifts? Be part of the work of Christ while you're here, while you're everywhere, to be honest with you. Be, be part of it. Be engaged in it. The kids upstairs, you know, we hear the da 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 every once in a while, right? That's okay. Praise Jesus. They're getting their wiggles out. Pastor Matt's going long, right? Get them saved. Praise the Lord, right? Are we, are we so caught up on those distractions? Oh, that we can't look and see the grace of God that there are children upstairs getting the word of God right now? Do you see what I mean? It's a, it's a perception. It's a heart issue. It's, it's what he wants to do. And he tells us we're not, we're not baptized into those issues. No, we're baptized into the spirit and the spirit of God brings us into unity and communion. Can I say it this way? And I hope I'm not offending anybody here this morning. We are our own worst enemies. 
Our flesh is our own worst enemies when it battles against the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.16 You see, God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 The Holy Spirit unites, the fle- uh, unites and the flesh divides. And I'll leave you with this thought just to make it crystal clear. Recently, just in this last week, the son, this college my son goes to, they had a terrible thing happen there. Some of the students broke into one of the dorms. And as they broke into the dorms, they began to write throughout the dorms hate, just hate stuff against Jewish people, against African-American black people, against white people. They were just hate, hate, hate. And you know what happened from that? They turned around and the students began to unite and they said, you know what, but we're going to unite in our sect, if I can say it that way, whether it's by race or by religion or by, you know, they were, they were so they, so you have black and African-American people come together. You had, you know, um, white people come together. You had, um, you know, Jewish people come together. And I thought, oh my. And, the, and obviously the university provost came out and he was apologizing and, you know, the security and everything going on at the institution. And I sat there and I thought to myself, I said, you want to unite those people. My, my boy was telling me, but I said, you want to unite? I said, you go in the middle of that square and you open the word of God and you start reading. And I said, you watch this. Instead of silos, let's break down the silos. All right? You want to integrate? Integrate the right way. Jesus Christ with the unity of God. Everything else is divisive. It's division because it all does is break apart different people groups, different wealth, different this and that. And you begin to look at each one and treat them separately rather than realizing we all got off the boat together. We're children of the living God if we're born again believers. Why are we fighting? Ken Ham had this amazing, I don't even know at the time he explained it that way, but I remember seeing him up at a Calvary Chapel where he came in and answers in Genesis and he had one of these hot air balloons. And it was a picture kind of cartoon. And he had this up there this way. And what he did is he had all of these issues. And I'm not going to say peripheral, but issues like abortion, certainly a big issue in our day. Homosexuality and and transgender, big issues today. Absolutely. On and on and on and on, right? All around this big hot air balloon. It had the atheists and the agnostics turning around and kind of like laughing, but taking aim at the Christians. The Christians were all gathered on the other side and they had their guns and they were firing at these auxiliary issues. And right in the middle was a big diagram and it was Jesus. And what had happened is they were so caught up. And I'm not saying these things aren't important. Abortion is very important. Murdering a child is wrong, right? Homosexuality, it's wrong. I don't care how the Supreme Court defines it. We're to love those people, love those individuals. They need to be loved to Jesus. It's not going to happen any other way. We, Jesus ate with sinners. He went out and he met them where they are, and then he loved them to truth. He loved them to truth, and it's an investment in a life. We don't have a right to give our opinions or push ourselves on other people until we've invested in their lives, and we've earned that right. And once we earn that right, it will go forward naturally through the Spirit of God. Well, they're so busy shooting all these things You know what ends up happening? The balloon starts to go, and there's a chasm, like it's going to go down. You know what the real issue is today? The real issue is we have believers in Christ being caught up in fighting with all these other believers, with all these other denominations, and with all these. I'm not getting pluralist on you, all right? Don't worry about that. But we have all these other things going on, and we have unbelievers literally 2,000 feet from us right now that don't know Jesus Christ that are going to go right to the pit of hell unless somebody, some group, people, individuals, invest in their lives to give them the hope, to give them lordship and Jesus so that they'll get saved. Because we can be fighting and doing, and again, they're all important issues. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying compromise. But at the end of the day, don't take our eyes off of Jesus. Because as that balloon was going down and the people in it that weren't believers, it was going right to the chasm in the pit of hell. Because that's what the Bible says, that if you don't know Jesus Christ and you haven't placed your faith and trust in him and you're not born again, you're going to go to hell, which is eternal separation from God. It's not his desire. His desire is that every single person would believe on his son. He who is without sin became sin, right? For us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Anybody listening to this here, anybody here this morning, there's nobody here that arrived. There's nobody here that got off drugs, got off alcohol first before they got saved. Maybe somebody did, but most of the time, Jesus met us where we are. 
And then he saved us and pulled us out of it. Pulled me out of it. It took me being broken. It took me being an alcoholic. It took me ruining and destroying my marriage and my life almost. Until I was willing to be humbled on my knees and finally look back and go, money doesn't solve all the problems. I can't buy my way out of everything. And at that moment, I was the weakest, most insignificant man in the universe. And Jesus met me on my knees. He restored me. He redeemed me. He sanctified me. And he's going to glorify me. And all because he loves us. That's the gospel. That's what we need to be focused on. All of this division in Corinth, we're going to read about it and we're going to read about it throughout the epistles as we read. We're going to see it in the body of Christ here. It's a distraction. We don't want to be dealing with it. If there's division in here, cast it out in the name of Jesus Christ. We need to be unifying. There's going to be difference of opinions. I get that, and that's okay. But are we explaining it in love? Are we willing to meet someone in love, or is it more important that we're right? Father, the worship team can come up. Father, we just thank you. Lord God, thanks for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for speaking to my heart through this, Lord. I get it wrong all the time, Jesus. But you always get it right. Thank you that your word washes and cleanses each and every one of us here this morning. Thank you that we see the unity you want to draw us into, that one spirit that we were all baptized into, one body, whether Jew or Greek, Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. It was by your son, Jesus Christ, Father. And because of the Holy Spirit, we pray this morning, pour out your gifts upon your bride. And Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, let them come forward this morning, Lord Jesus, as they would ask you to be their Lord and say, we don't want a political savior. We want you, Jesus, the Savior. We want you as our Lord. We need to submit. It's not about intellect. It's not about any of these other things. It's about you, Jesus. Please let us reach the lost and dying that don't know you. Please draw them into our spheres. We walk out of here. Don't make them come. Let us go to them, Lord, wherever they are. As you went out, Lord, all the territory you covered in three years, more than many do in a whole lifetime. God, let us be about your business. Let us be submitted and surrendered. Let us truly walk in unity. And God, I pray for anybody that's still here this morning. Lord God, after hearing this message, after seeing what you desire, that still holds on to division, that still holds on to anger and bitterness and conflict and, and them being right or me being right or whatever it is, God, I don't know. Or maybe it's in their homes and their marriages or with their children, Lord, or friends or family members all. God, I pray your peace be upon us. I pray your redeeming love be upon us. And I pray you remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I ask all this by your power and name and authority, Jesus Christ, the name above all names. Baptize us anew here this morning with your Holy Spirit that we can do the good works of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name, Father, in your name, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people prayed, amen.